Hi everyone. This is Fatimi Keshavarz and this is Radio Rumi. Once again, I am delighted to be speaking to you about the poetry of Jalaluddin Rumi, the 13th century poet and mystic whose voice still is very much alive and very much with us. And if the publications or the rate of publications of his work are any indication, he is making a difference in our lives today. So I'm absolutely delighted to be um, contributing to bringing his voice to you. Let me remind you again, this is a program from University of Maryland, to be more precise, from Roshan Institute for Persian Studies within the University of Maryland. And as Rumi is a great voice within Persian literature, we have taken it upon ourselves to bring it to you as far as um, we can or in any shape or form we can. If you want to talk to me, um, express an opinion, ask a question, suggest a theme for one of the future episodes of Radio Rumi, please write to radiorumi at umd.edu. Again, Radio Rumi as one word at umd.edu. And I should tell you um, that I am now sitting in my office in my house in Capitol Hill and so there is a very lively um, city um, life going on outside my window, um, which involves passers-by and sometimes a car. I'm hoping no sirens. And uh, so I hope you bear with me as um, I make this decision of not making this a formal program in a studio where everything is polished and perfectly prepared, but rather um, spontaneous and related to um, our daily life, the way we live, the sounds that we hear, hoping that it would not be too disruptive. Okay, um, more or less, I've been able to um, dedicate each episode of um, these um, radio roomies to uh, one theme, sometimes two episodes to one theme, um, in order to be able to focus the discussion, because he has said so much and he has written so much, 27,000 verses only um, comprise the book that is known as the Masnavi or his speculative work in mysticism. And of course, his lyrical verses are even more numerous and um, reaching over 35,000 verses. So there is plenty. It's almost like diving into an ocean. You can come up with anything that would be a topic you like to follow. And so um, today I want to talk about a topic that is very familiar to all of us, namely anxiety, restlessness, and a sense that life is pulling us in all directions. Now, 
Let me tell you at the outset, I'm no psychologist and I'm not claiming that Rumi is going to deal with uh, serious issues of uh, psychological consequence, but it has been an experience in my own life and those around me that reading his words and listening to his wisdom has done a lot in helping us um, to calm down, to take a careful look at life, our lives and other people's lives, and learn to deal with things, learn to seek more meaning, more depth in, and I can, I can even say more, definitely can say more satisfaction as well with the life that we live. We all know that in this life we are living, success and achievement are often things that define us. We are expected to make success after success. There's almost no room for asking, well, who am I? Who does this success belong to? Where am I going in my life? And um, even more importantly, how fulfilling, how fulfilling is this life that I'm living? Now, a lot of us are tempted to think that these are all only modern issues, and maybe these issues are heightened or exacerbated by modern life, but I can assure you that they have been to a large extent also issues during Rumi's life. Indeed, you may be surprised to know that Rumi spent a lot of time talking about this restlessness, this condition of being pulled in all kinds of directions. Now, again, we think it is it is a modern thing that we all play many different roles in our lives. We are fathers, mothers, and you know, sisters do our jobs and um, play various roles at, at work and with regards to neighbors and friends and uh, the media that we are dealing with, the politics around us, and all the rest. That believe it or not, Rumi also has a very similar concern for people of his time. In his Masnavi, he writes, John Hameruz as Lagat Ku Bechyal, as Yon or Sud or as Hof Zawal, Nasafa Mima Nadash, Neglot for Fat, Na Besu Yaosman, Rafa Safar. Which means in a very general, unpolished translation, that our soul, our, our being, our John, John is, is a word for our inner being, the force of life in us. So our John is every day trampled underfoot um, by our thoughts, by khial, various images that come and go you know, fears and hesitations and worries about success and failure and acceptance and, and all the rest. For the fear of loss and hope for gain and 
fear of death, fear of not being here anymore, fear that this is all there is and it's going to come to an end someday soon and what is going to be left of us. And then he continues to say that, but because we are so trampled underfeet by these thoughts, this John, this inner soul, has no freshness to it anymore. It doesn't have any sense of itself, of life, of being, of being alive, of its subtleties. Neither, neither does it find a way to travel to the sky. Now, I love this last verse, this, this um, finding a way to travel to the sky, which um, ironically these days could kind of put us off and make us think, oh my God, he's talking about the sky, he's talking about this unreal, this superstitious thing about, you know, God and all the rest. You know, of course he believes in God, That's, there's no question about that. But when he talks about finding the way to travel upwards, it's always in the direction of freeing oneself. In fact, in another verse, he says that I am a bird from on high and I sometimes come down so you can hold on to me and I can pull you out. I can pull you up. Skywards, heavenwards, whatever is the word you like to use. And um, that is a journey towards liberation. And we'll talk about that liberation more. I, I will, in fact, dedicate quite a bit of time to that. That is, in one word, kind of a liberation from oneself. But there will be more to it. So let me just talk about it when we get there. So back to that push and pull, that being trampled under feet by our um, thoughts and our fears and our hopes every day. So he tells us that in dealing with this, in fact, we'd replicate that restlessness. We replicate that um, unpredictable, changing environment in which we are living. In یک لحظه پری شکلم، یک لحظه پری خانم. در آتش مشتاقی هم جمعم و هم شمعم، هم دودم و هم نورم، هم جمع و پریشانم. So he starts by saying, and we've talked about this before actually in other episodes too, because he's asking this question a lot. این شکل که من دارم ای خاج کرامانم. The shape that I have, oh my friend, who do I look like? Who am I? Some days I'm look, I look like a fairy, and other days I look like these magicians who could control fairies. Um, sometimes I'm in the fire of longing, that all I'm together like a crowd around a glowing candle. Sometimes I'm the candle itself. But isn't it interesting that I am both light and smoke? That is, 
I am together, but I'm also dispersed. This condition that I have internalized from the outside world that is constantly changing around me leaves, in other words, no, no rest for me, no ability to look at myself, to even see who I am. So he then asks the, the real question. Or my friend, tell me. Oh my friend, what kind of a bird am I? I'm not a partridge, I'm not a hawk. In other words, I'm not the one that gets hunted, or sometimes I'm the one that gets hunted. And sometimes I'm the hawk, the one that's a bird of prey and is hunting others. And ultimately what this means is that, is that I'm neither. I'm neither, because I never stay in any of those states of being. And of course, he recognizes the source of all this restlessness again, not only in a cultural sense and in the way that our way of life, our way of being teaches us to be, but even the environment around us, the bigger environment around us, the nature around us, the seasons, for example. So he says, just look at the seasons. Look at the four seasons. Alam chahar faslast. Fasli khalaf fasli. Alam chahar faslast. Fasli khalaf fasli. Ba jang chahar dushman. Hargez qarar monad. So the world is like the four seasons. Each season different, even the opposite of, an, of the other seasons. One cold, one hot, one damp, one dry. So with this war that is going on in the nature around us, why do we even expect to be in total rest? So, so far, he is actually recognizing the condition that we are in. And that's what he always does. He never kind of jumps into giving you a lesson about what's the solution about something. Go ahead and do this. Go ahead and do that. I know what you need to do. No. He first tries to look at things carefully. Who are we? What is our condition? And, and in my opinion, he does this very deliberately. He's, he's teaching us a lesson in pedagogy, a pedagogy of life. If you want to know what to do, you have to stop and look. Instead of letting it yourself to be pulled, you have to stop and look. And then he uses a large number of 
examples. He is now, after the four seasons, he is now looking at us as artists, the painters. Suratgar Nakosham Parlasepotisam. So I'm the I'm the painter, the one who loves to draw portraits. And every instant I draw, I paint some beautiful face, which I worship. Because he uses the word but, which is the idol that, um, that was worshipped in um, old days. So I paint these paintings, I paint these images, and I fall in love with them and worship them. And then I'm... Nafasi Altasha Susan, Nafasi Segle Gorizan. Again, the Chaslam, the Chefaslam, Bachabazar Haranda. So, again, it's about who am I? Sometimes, like a, like a um, flowing flood, and at other times, like, um, like fire that burns everything around it. Okay, now, after that, he begins to address how to handle this, how to look at it, and now how to deal with it. And there is one concept at the heart of all the solutions that he is always presenting to us, and that is you. To, that's addressing as the beloved. You, my beloved. And it's very interesting that this beloved is not only spiritual in any way, although it's sometimes it's purely spiritual. At other times, it's just a very simple, loving human beings. So, and here's that side, and I was afraid, will come into this episode of Radio Rumi. I'm sure you can hear it a little bit in the background, but let's leave it behind and go back to the concept of the beloved. Maybe even the siren tells us that we have to stop and think about the one who's the real savior. All right, the beloved. The beloved is the one we're going in the direction of, and it actually is very often a process. It's not just a one-moment thing. You see this beloved, you fall in love, the problem is solved, it's all changing, you, you're done, you're liberated, you are not restless anymore. But, Suratgaru naqasham, har lahze buti sazam, vange hame buthara, dar pishe tu bogdazam. So I'm a painter. A painter I build, a beautiful portrait, which I worship any moment, then I see your face and I begin to burn them. Maybe not really just throw what you have created into fire, but not to worship it anymore, not to let it own you, rather be the owner of it. در آمیزم چه نقش تو را بینم در آتشش اندازم. And actually, 
you can apply this verse which I'm going to just translate to a very this-worldly love. Somebody you see and are attracted to and feel tremendously dedicated to and in love with. So here's what the verse means. Sadnaqsh barangizam, I create hundred images. I mix them with my own soul. It's like they are at the core of my being. Then I meet you. And I'm ready to let go of all those images. Why? Why? Because you bring with you a sense of joy which sometimes is um, expressed in Rumi's poetry as masti, a kind of drunkenness, but it's really joy. Very often he talks about this. So, to saori chamari, ya doshman hoshyari, ya anche koni viran, har khawne ke misazam. Now this is very interesting because you're gonna ask me when I translate this verse for you, how is this going to end our restlessness and bring comfort to us? Here's how it goes. You are the one who serves the wine, the cupbearer, the sari. You're the enemy of the one who's not intoxicated. In other words, as far as Rumi is concerned, this life is not worth living if we are not able to be enchanted, if we are not able to feel that joy, that drunkenness, or whatever word you have for it. That core human experience, which we often experience first by falling in love with another human being, that lifts you up out of your uh, corner, wherever you are, whatever you caught in. You're the cupbearer who, who brings wine. You are the enemy of the one who's not intoxicated, who's sober. The one that tears down every house that I built. And this is, in my opinion, one of those real Rumi moments. The beginning of rest is the ability to let the house that you have built to be torn down. The ability to let go. The ability to see that no matter how great it is, how much you love it, it's only a stage in your life. And you need to be able to let go of it so that it does not own you. So that you own it and you do things with it rather than it controlling your life. So that is why that beloved, that you with capital Y there, that tool is the cupbearer that serves wine, that tears down the house that you built, just so it does not become 
a present for you. Now, um, the ultimate concept of Rahai or freedom in Persian, Furumi, is something which he defines as Bihodi. Khod is the self. So literally, Bihodi means to be without oneself, to be free of oneself. And again, I think one has to be very cautious in not interpreting this as you don't need to be aware, you don't need to know what's going on around you, you'll just get your life to a point of living a constantly happy Epicurean life where you would just enjoy things. Of course, Rumi is not against enjoyment of life. In fact, he's a mystic who very much likes lives that are happy. But nonetheless, this Bihodi is not the kind of freedom from self that brings irresponsibility or not doing things and letting life just happen to you. Rather, it is a feeling that the self should be, you should be able to step back and take a look at the self, see it, see it with all the good and bad things that you see in it. If it's small about some things, if it's generous about some other things, just see it. And then stop loving it or hating it or judging it. Just be free from it and allow it to be free from your judgment, from your being. It's a kind of recognizing and acknowledging oneself in a world which does not revolve around that self. A world that is much larger, far more important than this just one self that we have. But at the same time, that self is all that we have. And therefore, the fact that we can help it fall in love, the fact that we can teach it to do something or not do something, the fact that we can connect it with the world, let it be free and generous, all of that matters very much. Now I'm looking at my watch and the screen of my computer as I'm recording this and I can see that um, we will have to really um, have a separate session of the Radio Rumi given only to Bihodi um, or freedom from the self so that we can actually do justice to this concept. But allow me to give you a little taste of it from a Ghazal poem, which is one of my favorites, and it is completely dedicated to this concept. Anafasi ke bahodi yar One nafasi ke bihodi yar chakha 
آن نفسی که با خودی خود تو شکار پشه ای آن نفسی که بی خودی پیل شکار آیدت Now, before I translate it I'm gonna ask you to forget completely about the spiritual aspects of this which actually is there and we're gonna get to it but put it fully in the context of your everyday life say your workplace the poem reads the moment that you are with yourself that is attached to yourself conscious of yourself obsessed with yourself thinking about yourself on nafasi ke ba khodi even the friend next to you is a hassle to deal with is a problem because you're so bothered by yourself that you cannot be bothered with anybody else the moment that you're free from that self you don't need anything not even that friend not even that yard but you can be with that person you can build that relationship you can do your work you can enjoy it the moment that you are self-conscious at judging yourself at torturing yourself a mosquito can bother you or a being as a small as a mosquito, the smallest of beings, the most insignificant beings, can be a trouble to you. But the moment that you're free from that self, that you don't have to put all of your energy into evaluating, judging, presenting, defending yourself, you're so powerful. You can fight an elephant, literally hunt an elephant, which is an image of absolute powerfulness because an elephant is the opposite of a mosquito. It's the, it's the largest and most frightening being. So with that beautiful poem, let me leave the rest of our conversation on Bihodi for our next episode. And because I want to finish it with reading that poem one more time, those few lines to you, let me just remind you again that you can talk to me. You can write, comment, question, ask for a specific topics that you'd like to hear about by writing to me at radiorumi at umd.edu. Again, Radio Rumi is one word and UMD is for University of Maryland. So it's Radio Rumi at umd.edu. And here is that poem again. An nafasi ke ba khodi yaar che khar ayadat. An nafasi ke bi khodi yaar che آن نفسی که با خودی خود تو شکار پشه ای و نفسی که بی خودی پیل شکار
do so. Bomba, sana mo, de, 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 de,